Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, uh, right here near Philadelphia, home of the Phillies and Eagles. And I am once again going to Texas. So we're even though we're going to talk to a new friend of mine from Texas, we're not going to talk about the Cowboys. Uh, instead, we're going to talk about things that we both agree on, which is uh, passing good legislation and making sure good people run for office. My guest today is Representative Alex... Dominguez, and he's going to talk about what got him involved in politics and what things are getting done there. And even as he serves in the minority, some things he's accomplishing so that if you listen and you were considering running for office yourself, hopefully you'll leave this conversation feeling optimistic, positive, and uh, maybe you'll be in the thing that inspires you to get involved wherever you are in this country. As always, please listen to past episodes from every state in the country, including D.C., um, and listen to find out you know your encouragement to get involved in politics today. With that in mind, uh, Alex, thank you for talking today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. And today, as you just told me before I started recording, is um, is actually a pretty good day for you. Tell tell me before we get into anything else, um, what you're accomplishing today in Texas. Well, the way the Texas legislature works, you know, we'll have a House bill that has to go through its committee process and the floor. Then it needs to go over to the Senate where they're allowed to make changes, reject it outright or, or pass it. And in this case, I have a bill called House Bill 1802, which promotes the use of psychedelics in the treatment of veteran resistant PTSD. Mm-hmm. And today we have sent it on its way to the governor's desk for signing. So that's a, a pretty cool thing, not just for Texas, but I think for veterans all over this country. It is. So what what exactly does that do over any other PTSD bill or veterans bill? Um, it's something I think is very important. I appreciate you doing it. But what what is a detail you think is going to make a big difference in people's lives? Well, I think the main difference is that the way that we treat PTSD in our veterans currently is we use things that are called psychotropics. So we have uh, Zoloft and Prozac, which mm-hmm. you may have heard about. And they seem to dull the senses in many ways, kind of keep people from feeling the emotions that, that they're feeling because of their, their trauma. My approach is very different. It uses psychedelics to allow for treatment of the PTSD itself. And it's not being studied for this purpose anywhere on the planet. So mm. this will be the first of its kind. It's, it's a landmark study that's about to take place. And while that's something you have been leading on, um, I'm sure that you didn't just wake up out of bed and say, hey, I have this idea. Uh, you've probably had veterans and other people who are experts have kind of testified, given some idea of why this is important to you, right? So, yeah, I mean, this is a, a big problem, not just in Texas. I'm sure it's a problem nationwide, but because my other job, you know, I'm only a part-time legislature here mm-hmm. in Texas. Uh, so my other job is being an attorney, and I, I've run into a number of attorneys that have been caught in the criminal justice system because they're self-medicating, which leads to a bunch of other problems that they might get arrested for. And while they're able to get treatment and they can certainly get past their their criminal cases, that doesn't solve the underlying problem of what's affecting them. So the the more I researched the topic, we found out that really our veterans are are in an epidemic right Mm -hmm. now. We lose about 20 veterans per day to suicide in this country. That's 6,000 per year. And given that we're just getting ready to bring our troops home, uh, the science has showed that while the the soldiers are in the field, they, they are still functional. But once they're no longer in theater, that's when the PTSD really starts to set in, when they have association problems with their family and their friends. 
And there have been a number of special operators, such as uh, SEAL team members, Green Berets, Army Rangers, folks that are typically at the front line, at the tip of the spear, so to speak, who have had a very hard time adjusting to life back on American soil. And many of them have been taking their own life because they just cannot get the treatment that they need. In fact, some groups have gone so far as to raise money and, and send these veterans to other countries like Mexico to get this type of treatment. One group is called Vets. It was started by a SEAL team member, SEAL Team 6, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of guy, he's not afraid of anything, but would be the first guy to tell you what we have right now isn't, isn't working and it almost cost him his own life. So we are at a critical point now. So yeah, we, this is a study that uh, we've been trying to plan for with this build now for about four years. That's, uh, I think that's something else that, like you said, uh, with four years there, people don't realize that sometimes new legislation like this can take quite a while. That's not um, out of the ordinary, right, for something, especially new, that's not just a budget matter, can take years to bubble up to the surface and, and get passed in a legislature. No, no, that's true, especially in a place like Texas, where our legislature only meets about six months every two years. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't excuse all the other legislatures or even Congress, which meets pretty much every week. And uh, it, it makes us think, like, well, why hasn't this been done already? And part of it is because the science is just now catching up to it. And not everybody has an open mind. And certainly things such as psychedelics have a certain stigma attached to them from the 60s and 70s. So it's great to see scientists giving a fresh look to uh, old treatments and seeing if they can be applicable to today's modern world. And we think that, you know, sometimes it takes, it takes a chance. It takes a big idea to try to solve a big problem. Now, you mentioned about the legislature meeting, um, a part-time legislature, and from my experience, that is very common in this country. It's something that is, uh, um, you know, you see it in Montana, you see it all over the place, and uh, red states and blue states and purple states, whatever colors you want. Um, that, for some people, can give an impression that state legislatures aren't that important, and that's wrong, right? Like, what what is... Why are state legislatures probably even more important than your votes for some other offices? Oh, oh my gosh. We're probably going to find out in the next six months how important state legislatures are. Mm -hmm. And not enough people get involved in these races, but you forget the state legislature is the one that's going to be setting up the maps during redistricting to decide what the, not just the local seats are going to be, but what U.S. congressional seats are going to be like. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, they'll set up the frameworks for your next election. You know, we've had a number of bills here, such as Senate Bill 7, that really wanted to, in many ways, make it difficult for some people to vote, to stay on the voter rolls. And you've seen similar legislation in Georgia and other places. And while everybody's focused on who's in the White House and who's in Congress, they're not looking at their own state legislature, which is really going to decide who is going to be in those seats. Right. Uh, Texas has a long history of being in these battles, even back when there was a time where the House, the Texas House, was 76 to 74, about as close as you can get to being even. Next session got wiped out. And I think there were about 40 state reps left out of 150. Redistricting can be catastrophic if people are not paying attention to these smaller local races. And not only are people not paying attention to it, like in terms of voters, uh, a lot of people, now that doesn't mean they're not smart people, it just have, they, they're, it's not top of mind with um, their legislators, but oftentimes legislators themselves seem to not pay, to be asleep at the wheel, would you say, like not realizing what's going on with the politics locally, so when something like that happens, 
they kind of miss the trends going on, right? No, it's true, and and I know it, it's sometimes it's hard to keep up with the news when with our, our busy lives between our families and our jobs. Uh, and, and you don't have to be watching MSNBC all the time. You can certainly just read your local newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly try not to get all your news from Facebook, I and mean, that's always a good suggestion. But you know, be involved, pay attention, ask questions, even ask questions to folks that are maybe a little bit more informed than you are, and that's a good starting point. Just get involved because we know what happens when we're all asleep at the wheel. Strange folks get elected and they start doing all kinds of things that we don't like. Now, obviously, you care about politics at all levels because the legislature is not your first go around in politics. Um, You uh, were on a county commission. And when I was looking at um, your history, I was interested in the fact that you served on a county level and also you served with judges in Texas. Um, judges are a bigger deal in Texas in terms of how they work with um, other forms of government than they may be in other states, right? Like your the way things work on a local level may not be what people expect. Right. So in Texas, you know, we have 254 counties, and the way that our our state is set up, the local county governing board is has four county commissioners and one county judge who acts as the executive and the emergency response director but because there are only five members you really have got to make friends with your your fellow commissioners mm-hmm. uh, in my case I, I i initially started working with a republican county judge uh, who later became the secretary of state for the entire state and it teaches you a lot about how other people think what's important to them and how you can work together to try to get things done and in our circumstances we were able to build a, a good relationship and, and we're friends to the state he's very supportive of, of my activity here in the state he you know thinks you got to just put your head down and work sometimes uh, but then sometimes yeah sometimes we're going to have those those situations where we just don't agree and we'll agree to, to disagree as respectfully as we can if possible uh, but you there's a lot of moving parts in any government whether it's your state school board your city commission or here at the state so what made you decide to run on a local level like that? Like for here where I live, my, our county commissioners are really instrumental in government. Um, but I have, I live in the third biggest county in our state. Um, other counties, it may be, it may feel like such a local issue that the county commissioners don't feel as big of a deal. But um, what made you decide that, that you were going to get involved at that level? You know what? For me, it was a lot of frustration. I, I tend to read the newspaper a lot and reading the paper back home and seeing the decisions that our county commission was undertaking, and in particular, one or two commissioners that were prominent. And, it, and I just got so frustrated. I said, you know what? I'm I'm tired of complaining. If I'm not willing to put my name out there and run for what mm-hmm. I believe in and, and stand up for it, then you know, I, I really just need to move somewhere else. And thankfully, the voters agreed with, with my perspective, my vision. And, uh, and, and they, I guess they elected me. So that's always a good thing. And you got to be prepared for rejection too. It's, it's not easy. So speaking of being prepared for rejection, you then ran for the legislature and the rejection I mean is that you knew going into it, that it was likely that you would serve in the political minority, that Republicans would be in charge. You'd be a Democrat going in. Um, and that's fine. But for a lot of people, it sounds like, well, if they're a Democrat, why should I run for office um, and be in the minority? Or a Republican in another state might say, why should I even run for office in Massachusetts? It doesn't make sense. 
Um, why was it important to you to run for the legislature knowing what you knew about politics? Well, the funny thing is I had a number of friends that were currently state reps in other districts and um, the local bar. I'm, I'm an attorney back home. All cautioned me against running. Uh, the position I had with the county was part time so I could still practice law uh, and still get a nice county paycheck with benefits. Uh, people thought, why would you ever give that up to run for a job that in Texas only pays $600 per month? You have to be away from your home for about six months. You can't practice law during those six months. And the person you're going to run against has been there uh, so long that he's got the entire lobby ready. And it, as it turned out, of the 150 House races that year, this race, my race with him, was the second most expensive race statewide. And uh, I did not have the big money that lobbyists gave. It was mostly a self-funded campaign with a lot of gumshoe and door knocking. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I did it was, you know what? If I'm not up there, I, I don't really like the decisions this other person's making. And, and he's speaking for my district, and I expect better. I want better. I demand better. And if I'm not willing to put myself out there, then I'm stuck with him because no one else was going to challenge him. He had seniority. He had power. He had money. And uh, I just had a little bit more more willingness to get the job done. You know, I got in touch with you partly because I had done a podcast with uh, Elizabeth Beck, who ran for legislature in Texas last year in 2020. And from talking with her and looking into some of the things in Texas, it seems like the the people who are Democrats in Texas, and this might be true for Republicans too, but um, the Democrats in Texas are different than they were 20 or even 10 years ago. Um, it seems, at least from a distance, like it's more of a team approach, um, that you're recruiting different kinds of candidates than you would have at a different time. And uh, it just does not seem like what people's perception of Texas Democrats would have been. Um, do you see, and, and I don't mean more progressive or more conservative, just, you know, just a different team forward thinking vibe. Do you see your group as, um, as, as a different kind of Democrat than years ago? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think the state house is better for it. Mm -hmm. If you look at Texas and its demographics, you see that the, you know, the largest, you know, single demographic group, ethnic group, is going to be Mexican Americans or Hispanics. But we also have a, a healthy dose of, of both African American population, Asian American population, and, and again, you know, uh, everybody else. But when you look at the party structure and the representation here in the Texas House, you find two very different bodies. You mm -hmm. find one group that's, you know, homogenous, and then you see the Democrats that has. You know, a good 40 Hispanics, a, a good 22 females, uh, a number of, of people that identify as LGBTQ uh, plus. Uh, we are the party that better reflects the demographics of our state. And what that shows is that in those districts, those voters and those candidates are putting themselves out there and being being transparent with their districts about who they are, what they believe in, and those those citizens send them to the Capitol. And I'll tell you, when we get here, even though we all come from different backgrounds, we have different agendas, we have different goals for our districts, our constituents, we pull together to work for each other and we campaign for each other. It's not always easy, especially when, when you're outnumbered and it's sometimes it's angering, it's frustrating, 
and and I would I would go back tomorrow and, and do it again uh, because it's that important. Because if I'm not doing it, no one else is going to do it. We we've got to I got to stick up for people that live in other districts because they need help. And one day I'm going to need help from my district too. I live in one of the poorest cities in the country. Anytime I, I go by and I'm knocking on people's doors, I see houses that are covered with political signs, not because they're politically active, but because they need those signs for shelter. It's mm-hmm. to stop the rain. It's to stop oh. uh, the wind from coming in. They, really, it, it's incredibly poor. And I, I'm doing my best to make sure that they can get their piece uh, of the American dream. And I'll do it every day and night, whether I get paid or not. Well, you know, you bring up your district, which is very important. And, uh, you know, you have the southern border, and I feel like a lot of people look at Texas and, one, either they see it as one thing, which clearly it isn't, um, or they see it as, like, a, like a city and then the border. It's, it's uh, pretty myopic views of Texas. But what do people, you know, in a, in a couple minutes here, what do people um, miss about what people are thinking about, what is going on in your community, in your district. Not to judge about one issue or another, but I feel like people um, have a very 500 mile, 5,000 miles away view of Southern Texas. Well, I think probably what people think about when they think of my district and, and South Texas is, you know, this has always been a traditionally blue area. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they don't know is we're also traditionally very Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strong religious views and, and generally strong ranching views. So you're going to get some strong gun views, strong law enforcement, because many of our, our sons and daughters go into law enforcement because there aren't that many jobs out there. Yeah. They'll either work for the police department, they'll, they'll work for the, the border patrol service and law and order matters down here. And it used to be a big part of the democratic party, you know, back in the day. And it seems that while there are certainly easy targets on the news because of some things that police officers do poorly, uh, there are a lot of really good law enforcement officers, yeah. and we need to do a better job of saying, you know what, you know, they're they're doing a good job, and and more importantly, my area, which has always been largely ignored by the National Party, this past election, you know, President Trump did very very well, mm-hmm. even won a few counties in South Texas, which should let people know that there are conservative views down here, and the Democratic Party needs to have a, a big tent, and needs to address those views and and work with them and I, I think that's kind of what people want they, they want to be respected and I think that goes for people that are independent and even some that are in the other party they they want to know that their voices that their concerns are being not just heard but respected and that's very important and it, it's not just good advice for anybody running for office it's somebody who is in office needs to consider I have Republicans in my district that vote for me mm-hmm so I represent them too, and I want to do right by them as well. Yeah, every person I talk to that's successful in politics talks about listening more than talking. It's, and I feel like a lot of people don't get that. Well, I'll tell you what, you put a microphone in front of any elected official, <laughs> you'd yeah. be hard-pressed to get them to get off that mic. Yeah, you're, you're, you have a good point there, but that's but, I, but they're not always successful in other ways. But, um, do you think in a way that um, while we a lot of Democrat we, we would like uh, Joe Biden to have won Texas or have done better in your part of the state, do you think that that shock of how Trump did in your part of the state may have been almost a welcome um, 
call, wake up call to Democrats, like, hey, don't take these people for granted, or hey, these are issues that you're ignoring. Like, sometimes it might be good to come close or lose because you can recalibrate for the next time. You know, I think the the election in 2016 taught us that the, the fabled blue wall of the upper Midwest was a solid for any Democratic candidate running nationwide. Mm-hmm. And when that started to show some cracks in it, it, it really made the, the National Party refocus on those states. Well, similarly, the South Texas has been the blue wall for Democrats in this state for a long time, a very long time. And I want to say that maybe we've been taken for granted. And I think what it, what it shows is we cannot take any voter for granted. Mm-hmm. We pay attention to everybody. We listen to them. And we need to treat them with respect. Yeah, and from what you said from your own success, it's not taking any uh, voter for granted. One, because you can get Republicans that'll vote for you, but also you could get people who are are your voters to not vote for you by accident. Oh, yeah, that happens too, more often than you realize. Right. Um, So I'm very interested in what you're getting done there. And you mentioned about um, some of the voting changes. Uh, And as I was thinking about this conversation, I was thinking about a conversation I had in Montana where um, you have a lot of people who are pushing for voting changes that may end up backfiring on them. Do you think that some of the changes that your colleagues are making in Texas that are worrisome to you may turn out to uh, not have the effect that they hope and and may, um, how you say not give the answers that they think it might get. Well, the funny thing is when we were debating Senate Bill 7, which was also House Bill 6 here in the House, and and we, um, as Democrats, filed, I think, over 80 amendments to their bill on the House floor. So as we're we're progressing through the bill and we're laying out our amendments, uh, we are just fighting like cats and dogs. And it comes apparent after about 2 o'clock in the morning that we're prepared to keep going on this for two more days straight. And uh, I, I think then the other party said, okay, what what, what will it take to, to pretty much put an end to this? Knowing that they had the votes. And they took a lot of amendments that they didn't want to take. And they don't talk about it. You don't hear about it on the news. You don't read about it. We don't make a big deal about it. But we put a hurt on them. That bill is not anything like what it started out as. And they may try to trump it and say, well, we passed it. Well, your bill doesn't do anything anymore. And the reason we did that is we know a lot of those members, the R's, they didn't really want this bill. They know it doesn't do anything. But they got a very rabid, small, vocal base that wants them to try to explain away why Trump didn't win the presidency. When we remind them, he still won Texas. You know, I think the changes that they're trying to put in are going to backfire on them, not just with our fundraising efforts, but I think it's going to really infuriate those people, especially minority groups that have been targeted. Mm -hmm. And there has been, I think in Texas, virtually no election fraud at all, because Texas has some very strong election laws and nothing. We don't see anything. We don't hear about it. We're asking them, okay, where's the evidence? And they're all like, well, that's that's a hypothetical. Like You have nothing. Yeah, election, no election fraud seems like a pretty dumb crime to commit. Like, if I was going to commit a crime, faking a vote seems pretty low on the list of things. Like, I would rather illegally download a movie, which I'm not going to do that. Like, it's it's very, it seems like if you're the kind of person to be committing crimes, 
that does not seem like the kind of thing that's going to make a Marvel superhero movie. Oh, you know, and this is a party that forgets that it wasn't, it was just a couple of elections ago. And I think it was in North Carolina where one of their folks was caught harvesting votes, right. you know, a Republican. So I don't know why they want to bring this renewed scrutiny. If they want to keep up with their practices, they, they're just as likely to get hit by one of these investigations as anybody else. And I think part of, of what they are trying to do is they're trying to outdo each other. Like, oh, we're more transparent state. And all the states that are doing it, you know, Georgia's trying to explain, you know, why did Trump lose in Georgia? We all know that's not true. I think Representative Taylor Greene is, is saying as much yesterday. And the reason why is he wasn't wanted. It, we saw two years before that, that that state is changing. This state is changing and they're hanging on for dear life. But I think the D's are coming, but we still have to have a good message. Yeah. You know, this is a prime time for the national party to really make inroads in the Southern half of the United States. You know, if we can keep Georgia, if we can get to making Texas blue, I'll even take purple. I think we've got a chance of winning back Louisiana, maybe even Arkansas in the future. And then, you know, then the national conversation changes a great deal. Yeah, and I, I think you might agree with me here. One thing that frustrates me is I hear political analysis that says, oh, now Democrats are the party of educated voters. And look, I went to college. You, you went to college. I'm happy about that. But I care more about Democrats being the party of working voters than I do about, you know, how what degree you have. I think you're right. You know, one of the things that I push down here in Texas is not everybody is going to go to college and maybe not everybody wants to go to college or needs to go to college right. to have a good career. Because what I pay my air conditioner guy or my plumber sometimes is more than I make as, as a lawyer. And we need to be prepared not just to provide that training in those jobs, but be prepared to help those people in the political sphere so that they don't feel neglected if the Democratic Party only focuses on the educated elite. No, we, we, we are all diverse and we need to be respectful of that. I, I like to say that while we're outnumbered here on the Texas House, sometimes we outsmart them, and uh, that certainly helps. So one thing, we do have a Pennsylvania to Texas connection, though. Our, oh, yeah? our lieutenant governor has been had a bet, <laughs> a, a bet against Dan Patrick, your guy down there, because he said, oh, there's going to be – there's voter fraud. And while there was – there are a couple of Republicans in Pennsylvania that got arrested um, – for voting for their dead moms or something like that. They're, um, you know, we still haven't gotten the money. He's supposed to pay John Fetterman a million dollars. So can you send him a note, tell him that um, John Fetterman really, you know, I think he could just donate to a charity in John Fetterman's name. We'd appreciate that. Well, I'd say, you know, I, that's not the only connection that I had with Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly I, I remember watching him as he was making his, uh, his claims to the lieutenant governor, and uh, I think it's a very valid claim. I think in a state district court that he filed here in Texas, certainly in my <laughs> county, would be well received. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple of other things. I, I I watch a lot of Pennsylvania politics because my wife and her family are from Manaka, mm -hmm. uh, which right outside of Pittsburgh. And and I'll tell you that my favorite restaurant in the entire state of Pennsylvania, and perhaps. The finest deli I've ever been to in my life is a cut above deli in Newtown Square. Well, and I've it, never it, been there, but it, I will. Yeah, I know it's close to Philly. You should make this trip. I'm telling you, a cut above is. 
I'm not going to advocate for any um, place other than you know locally right now because I okay all right well if, if you're if you're but right, if I get out to Newtown Square that place I, not, I highly recommend a pit stop it's not but, too you know, far <laughs> you have some fantastic members of of your state body I I, I know uh, Representative Mary Jo Daly and, and Senator Capoletti are looking at some similar measures to what I passed here in 1802 and I think that just shows that. This type of topic, a, a renewed look on how we can help people, not just veterans, but all people that suffer from mental illness and trauma and PTSD, deserve a fresh look. And I think give a shout out to, to those two for, for doing such a good job and, and being willing to consider psychedelic therapy as a potential avenue for treatment. I think if Texas can do it, I know Pennsylvania can do it. So yeah, anything a, I can do to help them out, I'm, I'm happy to help you all. I love your state. Well, Amanda Capaletti is my state senator. I know Mary Jo very well, um, and I'm very happy to help you with Amanda. That's for sure. She's a great senator so far for us, recently elected. Um, but speaking of food, is Whataburger really that great? I saw oh, Joe... Oh, you, you have not eaten a burger as fine as a Whataburger, especially when I go... Uh, Double meat, double cheese, little bacon, avocado. Uh, and if you haven't had avocado on your burger, y'all are missing out. Do y'all need a water burger in Pennsylvania? I can hook y'all up. You can. Great. We'll we'll take it. We don't have one here. We have Oh, you need one and they need to finish that off with a Dr. Pepper shake. Um, okay. I'm happy to have it. We try new things. We have some and good stuff here, but um I we, we don't have a water burger anywhere around here that I'm aware of. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not even just a Whataburger. The Whataburger fries, you get the option of normal ketchup or Whataburger's hot ketchup. Oh, so if you want a little love in your life, you need a you need to savor some hot ketchup. It's interesting that the last like quirky normal news story before the pandemic took over was Beto O'Rourke eating at Whataburger with Joe Biden. It's like that happened, and then like a day later, well, the world's shutting down. I'm not saying that there's a cause and effect there, <laughs> but if my last meal was going to be a Whataburger, I think I would do all right. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of doing all right, we do want people to do all right by running for office. That's what I want to encourage. Um, you know, you we have five, there's 500,000 elected offices in this country from judge and county offices like you run for it, state legislature like you're in. Uh, this seems like a time where some people may be complacent or some people may only pay attention to the Washington, D.C., what would be your words of encouragement for people to, to run for office anywhere in the country? Well, I'll give them two pieces of advice. First, get involved. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't think you're a potential candidate, get involved. Help out not just your party. Help out candidates. Help out elected officials. Uh, you know, Be a voice of reason uh, and a friendly one, preferably on social media. But if you have it in you that you're considering running for office – before you run for office, get involved. You know, you don't always have to start off running for the state house. You can run for the local school board. We need smart people giving advice to our superintendents. You know, run for local city commission. Volunteer. Be, be an officer in the Boys and Girls Club. You know, whatever it takes, find that leadership position. And I'll tell you that for two reasons. One, it gives you practical experience in dealing with people that disagree with you. Because you have to understand how to deal with that. It, not everyone is going to believe everything that you believe in. And that that's good. That's okay. Mm -hmm. and, and number two, it'll give you a chance to figure out, is this something that, that I can do? Am I willing to do this? Because you will lose a piece of your personal privacy by being out there. And you need to know that going in.
Uh, people will will look at you differently. They'll they'll scrutinize how many drinks you have in public. They'll even make fun of the clothes you're wearing. <laughs> so you just got to have a, a little bit of a thick skin. And when you start small like that, it, it really helps you get ready for the future. I tell you what, being able to be on some boards back home before I, I ran for for the county commission helped in ways I didn't think. Not just because in pragmatic terms, it it let me understand budgets and and how to work with people in a supervisory role. But two, when you can impress someone on a board or a volunteer organization, they will campaign for you without you even asking. So just think of it that way. That's true. I remember the people that um, have done anything to help me, and I don't even need that much help, but I definitely uh, will go out and help the people I've become friends with. It's really one of the best ways to make friends when you're an adult, because making friends as an adult is awkward and weird, um, especially these days when everyone's so political. But that way you have a... You can make a lot of friends by just getting involved in running for office. And, and at the end of the day, that's what all this is. It's friends that, that believe in you. Mm-hmm. I, Tony, that, that's, that is politics in a nutshell. It, whether you're convincing your neighbor or a Republican across the aisle, you've got to make friends. And you've got to convince them to trust you that your judgment is sound. Well, Representative Alex Dominguez, you are now my friend, um, and I do want people to become your friend as well. If people want to follow you, they can go on um, Instagram at Alex for Texas. Good for you that they're you're able to get that one. Um, what other ways can people follow you on social media or other ways to become your friend, learn what you're doing, and and maybe get a better sense of Texas? Well, probably the easiest way would be just to, to go to my website, alexfortexas.com. I have links to my, my Twitter, my Facebook, mm-hmm. my social media feeds. Uh, they can see pictures of me with, with puppies. Uh, and that's, if that doesn't make you feel good, I don't know what does. Look, I'm on your, your page now, and I have not seen any puppies. I see other people. You promise puppies, and I see issues. I see education, you helping kids, working on the economy. Where are the puppies? Oh, I think you got to keep reading. They're hidden in there. They're like cookies. They're, they're puppy cookies. But I think you should be able to click on my, my Facebook uh, links and it'll it'll take you to, uh, to a page. So yesterday we had a, a local animal shelter. And I'm a big animal advocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they came by and uh, we all got to take pictures with them. And I reminded folks, like, that feeling you have right now about holding this, this defenseless little puppy that needs a home, you need to have that feeling when you get back on the house floor. Yeah, and uh, people just tease me. Oh, Alex, you're such a softy. Well, yeah, I'm a softy. But you know what? We all need something that makes us smile, that makes us care about it. And if we can find common ground with a puppy. I'm sure we can find other things that we bo- that we both agree on. Well, I think we've found some common ground today when we have a lot of reasons to smile. Um, please, please, if you can, check out Alex for Texas. Uh, check out what Alex is doing down there, and uh, you should run too. Thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate you giving so much time today. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you'd like. You have a great weekend, okay? You too. Enjoy your Memorial Day. Yes, sir.